Bible reading for today is uh, again from Hebrews chapter 11, the next eight verses, reading from verses 8 to 16 of Hebrews chapter 11. Neil's going to bring this reading to us. Thanks, Neil. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 16. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to this to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith without having received the promises, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Amen. Thanks, Neil. Let's pray. God, again, we thank you for your word this morning and we pray that as we consider these verses in this passage, that you would indeed speak to our hearts. Glorify your name in us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Consider this situation. A man was in the desert. He'd been there for a long time. He was hungry he was particularly thirsty and he stumbled across an old house where nobody lived. It only had part of a roof and the doors were actually hanging sideways. The man walked into the house and he sat down to rest. As he sat there, he looked into one corner and he saw an old hand pump. He went over and, starting pumping, and started pumping as hard as he possibly could but all he got was squeaking sounds and dusts. So he walked back and he sat down. And then he looked around a little further and he saw a jar of water. And there was a note next to the jar. The note read, you need to use the water in the jar to prime the pump. So he had a decision to make. Should he drink the water in the jar because he's so thirsty, water that had possibly been there for a long time, or should he take a chance and do what the note said? He decided to follow the advice of the note, but he'd only use part of the water. 
He poured in about half of the water into the pump and began to pump. And all he got was the familiar squeaking and a single drop of water. So he quickly poured in the remaining water from the jar and began pumping again. Soon he had all the water he wanted. He filled the jar back up and he added to the note, it really works, but you have to give away all that's in the jar. Friends, that's a description of Abraham's life. At one time, Abraham had it all, but his faith life called him to give it all away. If you want to know what it's like to have faith, if, really, if you really want to know what it is to believe, then you have to take a look at Abraham. There are three things that I want to say about Abraham's faith today. And the first is what I've called the where from of Abraham's faith. Perhaps you've had people say to you, I wish I had your faith. Sometimes, of course, they say that sort of wistfully, don't they? But you see, they can't conjure up such faith. Or sometimes they'll say it patronisingly. They see it as some kind of crutch that you're leaning on. But for whatever reason they might say it, the implication is always that faith is something you're born with. It's as if it's in your genes or something like that. But that is not so. Where does faith come from? Where did it come from for Abraham? Well, we're told in verse 8 of Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham's faith came when God called him to follow God. And you see, that's where faith comes from. In his speech in Acts chapter 7, Stephen tells us in verse 2, our great and glorious God appeared to Abraham, our ancestor, when he was in Mesopotamia. In other words, something very significant happened in Abraham's life. Was it like, say, a Damascus Road experience, such as Saul of Tarsus experienced? You know, a blinding flash of light that threw him to the ground? Well, it could have been. Or was it a growing thing, a general dissatisfaction with his life there in Ur of the Chaldees? Was it a restlessness that came upon him, like what happens to birds when it's time for them to migrate? It could have been. We're not actually told how God appeared to Abraham, but we, what we do know is this. Somehow or other, God became real to Abraham. Martin Lloyd-Jones was brought up in a nominal Christian family. His parents moved to London when he was quite young and his family attended Charing Cross Welsh Presbyterian Church where Martin eventually became a communicant member of that church. Yet, believe it or not, at that point in time, he wasn't even a Christian. He was rapidly rising to the top of his profession as a cardiologist but then one day, a friend of his, who was also a rising star in the medical profession, had a tragedy in his life. His friend's fiance was killed in a car accident. Says Lloyd-Jones, and I quote, 
he came to see me and he just sat and stared into space for two hours. And as I watched him staring hopelessly into the fire, I heard the call. And it shook me to the foundations. I saw the vanity of all human greatness. I realised that all the success in the world, all the status, all the education, all the money in the world was insufficient to face life. Something like that must have happened to Abraham. What about you? Has something like that happened to you? The details of how it happened, whether it was dramatic and blinding or gradual over a period of time, that doesn't matter. But has God come into your life in such a way as to totally shake your foundations? The Apostle Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. God once said, let light shine out of the darkness. And this is the same God who made his light shine in our hearts to let us know that his own divine greatness is seen in the face of Christ. What a remarkable statement that is. It's something on a par with the creation of the world that's taken place in Abraham's life. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be light in my life, and there was light in my life. The God who said, let there be light, has shone into his, Abraham's heart so that Abraham sees the glory of God. Now, you can look up at the sun, can't you? But if you keep staring at the sun for too long, uh, it can actually damage your eyes if you look at it directly. Well, it's a bit like that with God, isn't it? Where can you see God and live? Well, it's only, as Paul says, in the face of Jesus Christ. It's only as you see Jesus in the gospel, in the good news, that you can actually see the glory of God. So has that happened in your life? In Galatians, Paul says that Abraham had the gospel preached to him. So I'm actually not exaggerating when I say this. How did Abraham come to faith? He came to faith because he heard the gospel. Where was he when that happened to him? Well, he was in Mesopotamia between the two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, about 160 kilometres from the Persian Gulf in southern Iraq, a place called Ur of the Chaldees. That was Abraham's home. You know, I'd always imagined that Ur of the Chaldees was some small country village. I don't know why, but I just had this idea that Abraham came from a little country village but I discovered that that's not the case. Ur of the Chaldees was a sophisticated city. When they excavated the site of Ur of the Chaldees, they found that it had spacious two-storey villas with running waters, tiled paths and tiled balustrades. The city was interlaced with a network of canals and gardens. But it was a city with a dark secret. As Ur of the Chaldees was excavated, particularly around the royal tombs, they discovered evidence of human sacrifices. That's where Abraham was when God called him. Joshua reminds the people of Israel in Joshua 24 verse 2, a long time ago your ancestors lived on the other side of the Euphrates River. I'm talking about men like Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor. 
at that time, they worshipped other gods. So when Joshua is reminding the people of their origins, oh, sorry, not Joshua, when Isaiah is reminding the people of their origins in case they became proud and thought that because they were God's people, there was something special about them, Isaiah says this, chapter 51, verses 1 and 2. Some of you people try hard to live good lives. You go to the Lord for help. Listen to me. You should look at Abraham, your father. He's the rock you were cut from. Abraham is your father, so look at him. Look at Sarah, who gave birth to you. In other words, he's saying to the, Isaiah is saying to the people of Israel, where did you come from? You were in a dark, dangerous place. What was so special about Abraham that God would call him? Absolutely nothing. But God took this one man and made him the father of a nation and the focus of his plans to save the world. God took Abraham from where he was, immersed in idolatry. He was a man who was married to a woman who couldn't have children. Both of them were getting on in years. And you look at Abraham and, you sit and Sarah and you have to say, God loves a challenge. Or to be more theological, you could say, the Lord loves opportunities to demonstrate his grace. What is there, after all, in the bottom of a deep pit to attack, attract the attention of the God of glory? Absolutely nothing. What was there in the life of a pagan moon worshipper, Abraham, to attract God's attention to him? Nothing at all. What is there about you or me that God would single us out and reveal himself to us in Jesus? Nothing at all. Where were you? when God called you to follow him. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. These are the people who will not get to enjoy his kingdom, those who sin sexually, those who worship idols, those who commit adultery, men who let other men use them for sex or who have sex with other men, those who steal, those who are greedy, those who drink too much, those who abuse others with insults, and those who cheat. In the past, some of you were like that. You were down in a dark, muddy hole, and the more you tried to climb out, the more you kept slipping back in. So where were you when God called you? What sort of a hole had you dug for yourself? And where are you now? What kind of a mess have you made of your life now? David says in Psalm 40 verse 2, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. Friends, you might not have a problem with lust, but you might be an envious person or a greedy person. And perhaps you wish you weren't like that. But the more you try not to be like that, the more you find yourself trapped and it blights your whole life. Where are you right now? What pit have you dug for yourself? Well, the God of glory can appear to you in the gospel. Reading Psalm 40 verses 2 and 3 for the, uh, uh, Saul's uh, psalmist words. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. 
Well, that's what God did for Abraham as well. And it's what God can do for you. Faith is not something that comes naturally to us. It's a gift of God that comes through the gospel. Romans 10 verse 17. Faith comes from hearing the good news and people hear the good news when someone tells them about Christ. That's the where from of Abraham's faith. Secondly, the whereabouts of Abraham's faith. Faith comes from God, but what does it look like? What does it mean to live by faith? Well, let me put it this way. There are some things that faith has to live with, and there are some things that faith must live without. Again, Hebrews 11 verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. Faith has to live with a degree of uncertainty. God said to Abraham, go. And Abraham says to God, yeah, where, Lord? God says, well, I'll tell you about that later on. God tells Abraham, I want you to settle down. I'm going to give you a land. And Abraham says, so where's that, Lord? And the Lord says, I'll let you know that later on. Just go. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And Abraham says, Hannah, Lord, how are you going to do that? We've been trying to have kids for years. In fact, it's a bit of an embarrassment to us in our culture. How are you going to do that? And God says, I'll tell you that later. Don't you worry about that. And then when the promised child is born and grows to maturity, God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham says, but, but why? God says, I'll explain later. There's a huge amount of uncertainty in all that, isn't there? And you see, most of us want answers. We want to have answers. We prefer to know where we're going in life. Those people who live on the edge are few and far between. And the older we get, the less likely we are to enjoy that kind of lifestyle. But just think for a moment. If you knew today, if you knew what you know today, many years ago, would you have set out in the first place? If you knew where God was going to take you, what he was going to do in your life, would you have set out in the first place? Abraham wanted to know the whole story before he left Ur of the Chaldees. But you know what? If God had told him all the details before he left there, I wonder if Abraham would have ever left. I very much doubt it. Of course, God knows the beginning from the end, but thankfully he doesn't tell us because if he were to tell us, I reckon he'd scare the living daylights out of us. You see, to live by faith means precisely that. It means living with a degree of uncertainty. It means setting out without knowing where you're going. And I have to ask you this morning, are you up for that? Because if you're not... You can't tell me that you're living a life of faith. What's the alternative? Well, let me tell you what the alternative is. It's boring predictability, which unfortunately is where a lot of churches are at today. 
A lot of congregations have been left high and dry by such leadership where leaders are not men of faith because they're never prepared to take risks. They have to have everything laid out, so predictable. To live by faith means that there's always an element of adventure, an element of uncertainty. I have to say that I believe one of the biggest problems for young people growing up in Australia today is boredom. That's why people are going in for these extreme sports, I suggest. You know, jumping out of aeroplanes or off skyscrapers. Why? Because they're just bored. But what could make life more exciting and more adventurous than the life of faith, following God and trusting him? To live by faith means that we have to live with a degree of uncertainty. As Christians, we have to be people who are prepared for that. Living by faith also means that we have to live with heartache and bewilderment. You see, the idea that if you have faith, then all your problems are solved, that if you believe you'll have health, wealth and prosperity, and that's taught in a whole lot of churches today, it's actually a false gospel. It's a heresy of the most obscene type because it's just not true. So much evangelism in recent years has said, come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. Life will be just a breeze. It's actually cruel to tell people that because it's not so. How do you think Abraham felt about his childlessness in a society that considered childlessness as God's curse? How did Sarah feel? This was a major factor in their marriage. Sarah actually even tried to arrange for Abraham to have sex with a handmaiden just so that the, the promise might come true. Imagine the embarrassment of this elderly couple going along to antenatal classes in their 90s. How embarrassing for Isaac. I want to say, I don't know if you know any Isaacs, but apologies to any Isaacs around. Do you know what the name Isaac means? It means joke. Imagine how embarrassed Isaac must have been when he went to school. You know how cruel school kids can be. What's the joke about, Isaac? Well, have you seen his parents? They had one foot in the grave before he was even born. No wonder Sarah laughed her head off when God said, you're going to have a child. She was in her 90s. That's why she called her son Isaac, joke. And when God told Abraham to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice, what a severe test of faith that was. The point I'm making is this. It's often the case that people who are going to be the most useful for the Lord are dogged by circumstances that prevent or at least hinder their ministry. People who want to go on for the Lord often face things in their lives that seem to reverse or even cancel out their usefulness. Friends, do not expect the life of faith to be plain sailing. If anybody teaches you that the life of faith is plain sailing, don't listen to them. Faith has to live with heartache and bewilderment because that's actually the way it grows. Through the difficulties, through the disappointments, through the setbacks, it's through the reversals that we're encouraged to trust God. We don't trust God when it's plain sailing. 
It's only in the hard times that we bring ourselves to say, Lord, I've got to trust in you. You see, if we didn't trust God, we'd trust ourselves, wouldn't we? Instead of thinking, well, I can do this, we suddenly realise, well, I can't do this at all. But we discover that God can. And we learn to trust him. So faith has to live with a degree of uncertainty, with bewilderment and heartache, and faith has to live with trials and opposition. When Abraham was told about the promised land, God didn't say to him, hey, Abraham, it's all yours. Just sit down and enjoy. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. You have vacant possession. God didn't say that to Abraham for one minute because Abraham did not have vacant possession of the promised land. Canaan was full of frightening people. The spies came back and told them that. It was full of hostile pagan tribes who had no intention whatsoever of handing over the place to Abraham. Just because God told Abraham that this land was his, it didn't mean that Abraham wasn't going to have to fight for it. And, of course, to compound matters further, when Abraham arrived and was about to enter Canaan, there was what? A famine. This meant he had to leave and go down to Egypt, where things just went from bad to worse. Faith has to live with these things. The Apostle Peter, writing to deeply distressed believers, says in his letter, 1 Peter 1 verse 7, these troubles test your faith and prove that it's pure. And such faith is worth more than gold. Gold can be proved to be pure by fire, but gold will ruin. When your faith is proven to be pure, the result will be praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ comes. Do you see the contours of the life of faith? But there are also things that faith has to live without, things that other people take for granted, for example. Remember, Abraham had to leave his country and his family. It appears from the account in Genesis and the verses in Hebrews 11 that Abraham was very close to his father, Terah. In fact, when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, Terah came along with him. But then at a certain point at Haran, Terah dug his heels in. He must have said to Abraham, Son, enough is enough. I'm not going one step further. So they stopped there in Haran for some time until God moved Abraham on again. Try as he may, Abraham could not get his father to budge. So Abraham, Abraham had to leave, not only his country and his culture and his background and his comforts, he had to leave his father as well in order to follow God. And Jesus says, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 and 39, those who love their father or mother more than they love me are not worthy of me. And those who love their son or daughter more than they love me are not worthy of me. Those who try to keep the life they have will lose it. But those who give up their life for me will find true life. I'm reminded of John Payton the Presbyterian pioneer missionary who went to Vanuatu. John Payton was an ancestor of uh, the husband of Helen Payton, who used to be in our congregation. 
John Payton went to Vanuatu and when he indicated to the people in the church that he was going to go there as a missionary, some old geezer in the church tried to convince him it wasn't a good idea at all. He said to Payton, if you go there, you'll be eaten by cannibals. To which John Payton replied, so I'll go there and get eaten by cannibals then. You're getting on, he said to this old guy, and one day they'll put you in your grave and you'll be eaten by worms. So what's the difference? Now there's a man who doesn't love his own life more than he loves Jesus. But that isn't just for pioneer missionaries. It's for all of us. If you're a Christian, are you prepared to live without what most people take for granted? Are you prepared to disengage from what we've been told we have to have? If, for example, you're building your life around your family, around your kids, well, guess what? They'll soon fly the nest. Or if you're building your life around your looks, well, let me tell you, even as I speak, you're wrinkling and you're getting thick around the waist. Your cells are dying off and you won't be able to keep your looks, your present looks. One day, this whole world is going to go. It's passing away. This rock of, lump of rock will be no more. And when that happens, let me tell you, the amount of money you have in your bank account or how well thought of you were in your career, those things won't do you one little bit of good. The only thing that will matter will be, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you have faith in him? If you're truly a believer, faith is prepared to sacrifice things. I don't mean child sacrifices or anything like that, but to go without things. It means that you'll be prepared to live without things that other people take very much for granted. You see, other people assume that that's what this life is all about, things. But you won't make that mistake if you're a believer. You'll also live without receiving what God has promised. Hebrews 11.13, these all died, all these heroes of the faith, died in faith without having received the promises, but they saw them from a distance. In this life, they didn't receive the things that God had promised them. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on, this, on earth. If they'd been thinking of the country that they left behind, they would have had the opportunity to go back. But they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Which leads me to the where to of Abraham's faith. Hebrews 11 verse 10. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Let me remind you, Abraham was actually very rich. He was the Bill Gates of his day. The Old Testament makes that extremely clear. He was a very wealthy man in terms of camels and goats and sheep and donkeys and servants. Abraham had it all. And yet, did you notice? He chose to live in a tent. He didn't have to. If you're Bill Gates, you wouldn't live in a tent, would you? But Abraham had come from a sophisticated modern city and there were plenty of cities around, but he chose to live in a tent. Why live in a tent when you can afford to live in the penthouse suite of a plush hotel in town? Well, it's because Canaan wasn't Abraham's final destination. 
Living in a tent was his testimony that he wasn't putting down roots in this world. He's looking beyond this life, looking forward to something that's been promised to him by God. So what about you? Would people look at you and say, oh, they're obviously living for the, the world to come, not for this world? If you're not looking forward to what God has promised you, then I suggest you aren't truly a believer. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is what makes real the things we hope for. It is proof of what we cannot see. If you're not looking forward to the world to come, then you have to question the reality of your faith. Faith is living now for the future, the future that you won't receive until then. But you're so sure of it that you're living now for that future. Abraham could have gone back to his comfortable lifestyle in Ur of the Chaldees if he wanted to, but he chose not to because he was looking for a different kind of city, a city that's designed and built by God. He and his family after him were happy to put up with the tent lifestyle because they were looking for the world to come. I remember reading about Philip Henry, the father of Matthew Henry. If you know about Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator, Philip Henry, his father, was wanting to get married. Her parents thought she was marrying beneath herself, that she could have done a lot, whole lot better than Philip Henry. So they said to her, well, who is this Philip Henry? Where does he come from? To which she replied, I don't know where he's come from, but I do know where he's going. Do you know where you're going in life? Do you just look forward to the next career move, the next phase of your life, retirement or whatever? How far-sighted are you? Are you longing for that better country? Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to help us to be like Abraham. Help us to keep looking forward. Help us to strengthen our faith by feeding it on the promises of your words. Help us to work for the things that we believe in here at City Heart Church, not just church services, but a community where we delight in each other, a community where we want to be together, where together we look forward to being with you for all eternity. Lord, may City Heart Church be a place where others will want to come and join us, like a city of refuge from this world that's under judgment. We pray that by the way that we live in community with one another, we will be used to draw attention to your great plan of salvation. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, don't be surprised that our closing song is...